to another episode of The Blind Perspective here on Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? That's quite a mouthful, I just noticed. And um, I am your host, Victor Govea, along with our my co-host today, Misty Dawn. Thank you, Misty, for being on the show. Hi. Hello, guys. It's been a couple of weeks. <laughs> I just love when Misty's on the show because I always love her um opinions on stuff especially since they're so well educated or at least they <laughs> seem to be well yeah sometimes i'm just winging it but and that's what i'm gonna be doing this time i think actually so you actually know what we're talking about today yeah i read the email so yeah um <clears throat> uh let me just go over some housekeeping rules ladies and gentlemen if you like what you're about to hear go hit that like button whether you're listening to us on facebook on our Facebook page, on Twitter, or on YouTube. Uh, you can also share it with your friends and family, especially if you think they can benefit from anything we say here. And, of course, subscribe. You can follow us on our page, on Twitter, and subscribe to us on YouTube. If you can't catch us live, you can always catch us on podcast. We are available on most, if not all, podcasts. Pa- podcast apps out there uh as well as devices uh we're not quite on audible yet i haven't been able to get up there yet but hey you know someday you never know uh, but today we are talking about something that is becoming more and more increasingly and I realize I just said that twice. Um, more and more, uh, well, a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, for a long time, people have wondered what the heck is the deal with blind people not being hired for jobs. A lot of that has to do with public opinion. Of course, ignorance of what we can and cannot do. And, of course, there's a lot of experience that goes along with it because a lot of people don't have the experience necessary to get hired. Having said that, with the uh, pandemic having (coughs) appeared... You okay? Are you okay? Yeah, Oh, okay. Uh, ha- with the pandemic having reared its u- ugly head, it's increased the unemployment rate quite substantially. And um, while that isn't a big factor in the number of people with disabilities on uh, on benefits, it has increased the... Uh, number of people on unemployment benefits, um, especially those who have been laid off or fired because of lack of uh, profits or um, I forget what the other word is, but you get the idea. A lot of people weren't doing as much business as they should have during the pandemic. And uh, a lot of companies had to either tone down their uh, employee employees 
or lay off some employees, at least to keep on in the black. Um, and others had to go out of business completely. That has increased the unemployment rate quite heavily. And um, a lot of people are talking about people on benefits, whether they be SSI or uh, employment insurance or on uh, uh, disability, if they have the ability, they should be, if not working, then volunteering at a position that helps out the greater public. It would seem that that would be an ideal situation where people actually volunteer their time and the money isn't just being given away. Personally, I actually like that idea. I've, I've actually thought of doing that quite a lot over my time, being disabled, that is, over the last 22 years. And, uh, you know, I just can't help but think that a lot of companies and a lot of people would benefit from such a... Um, such a uh, work environment or volunteer environment. Um, what do you think, Misty? I mean, how do you feel uh, about something okay. like that? Yeah, this is a huge, huge topic. And now I have only given it, honestly, cursory thought. Maybe I should have given it more thought over time. But I mean, I'm just going to throw some stuff out here from what I have thought about, what I've heard discussed, and what I have when I have been in discussions about it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so, okay. Disability benefits. All right. Without working. Um, to my mind, yeah, I think that in, in theory, it's a good idea to make people that are on benefits, that can work, go look for a job. But the thing is, how do you determine whether someone can or can't work or not, really? I mean, is it really up to the government to determine that, whether you can or can't work? Now, I, I think that more, far more people with disabilities can work than even they realize themselves or than, than other people realize mm -hmm. that we can. But um, there's still, a, I, would, I would suggest a, a, a substantial minority of people with disabilities, especially with complex disabilities and even certainly severe psych psychological, psychiatric disabilities, who would not be able to work in the majority or of jobs or any job for that matter. So, I mean, who's going to decide who can and can't work? I think there should, I mean, if you're going to have, if you're going to force people to work, you have to have some consistent and objective standard to where you're going to say, okay, these people have to work, have to find, have to at least be looking for work and these people shouldn't. And again, I think it's very subjective. It's very individualistic. So that's, I would suggest maybe, I don't know this for a fact, but maybe that's why uh, disability benefits are often set up like they are, because they have to find some objective standard. And the only objective standard that you can really um, come to with this in a situation like this is disability itself. Even if Medical diagnosis, before, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you have to have some standard. However, uh, as far as disability benefits versus working goes in a more general um, sense, honestly, 
I think that this modern social safety net discourages employers from hiring us even more than perhaps our disabilities discourage them. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they say, oh, you know, she doesn't really need to work. He doesn't really need to work because they can just go on, you know, SSI and they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. So why should I hire them if I have to do accommodations and blah, 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 and all this and, and can't, you know, and w- with my ableist notions of what they can and can't do, I don't want to risk that. I don't want to hire this person if they can just get benefits. So in a way, I think it's, it's kind of become a crutch for employers as well. I mean, I don't know what the solution is to that. I mean, like I said, I, I think there has to be some social safety net, especially for those who legit can't work. And for those who encounter discrimination in finding a job, they need to have that time and that and that safety net to look for a job as, you know, as as, as they receive benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's a I do think it's kind of a, a crutch for employers, as I was saying, you know, back before we had all of these benefits, um, there are some estimates that blind and other disabled people were actually working more percentage wise because, frankly, they had to in order to survive. Sure. Um you, I, I, I don't know if you know the a lady, but uh, she goes by the blind history lady. Her real name is Peggy Chong. She, I don't know if she's affiliated with either NFB or ACB, but she's been on both, I think both of their various media platforms. And she has researched a lot of these uh, blind lives uh, from your average to your more well-known from, I think she said late 1800s to early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, from, from, I don't know where she, where exactly she gets all of the statistics and such. But from what she was saying, she seems to suggest that, that again, more blind people certainly were working before the social safety net was implemented than now. So, again, that would be a strong argument for what I'm suggesting as well. Um, right. But, but again, the problem with that the problem with that argument from employers, that was probably, there are a lot of problems with it. But the main one, I think, is simply economic. Yeah, we can sit back on our laurels, for lack of a better term to use here, mm-hmm. and, you know, get SSI, even if we can work. But at the same time, it's, I mean, SSI certainly keeps you in poverty. And, you know, it's, it's an employer say, oh, they'll be fine. Yeah, we may be fine. We may be barely hanging on. Mm -hmm. But is that really the American dream for disabled people? We should have the same right uh, to, to make as much as we want based on the work we do. And of course, you also have the problem, it's a totally different subject, but the problem of subminimum wages in many states for people with disabilities working in, in certain sheltered workshops. But that's a whole other ball of That's wax. a whole other topic, yeah. So, and, and NFB certainly has been working toward um, abolishing that, that loophole in the law where people where people with disabilities can be paid subminimum wage. And, it, and we've, we've made a lot of progress as an organization in yeah. getting rid of that. Well, in, in a lot of cases, uh, for those who are not disabled mm-hmm. on unemployment insurance or um, uh, general welfare, uh, it is, well, in most cases, they are, it is necessary that they prove that they are looking for work. Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, they're able bodied, though, right? They they don't they have no no reason at all, really, as far as the government is concerned, not to. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but some might say, on the flip side, what about the free labor? Hmm? How do you mean? Well, for example, a, a blind person doesn't get a job because mm-hmm. the employer decides that, well, no, they can't do this job. Mm-hmm. 
when in fact they actually they actually can. Yeah. So volunteering on in a position like that would open a lot of doors, don't you think? And a lot of us do because a lot of us have to in order to prove ourselves. And right. that's sad. It's unfortunate. But yes, a lot of us do have to do that. Um uh certainly. Yeah, it's it's I mean or internships or you know, yeah, I mean it's it's yeah, it is a necessity. And it's a necessity for a lot of us even to start lower than maybe we otherwise would in terms of um job prospects again in order to prove ourselves because i mean we have to basically you know perform at 120 or more percent of what a sighted person what an able-bodied person would have to perform at in order to be taken seriously well how many degrees do you currently have this is a perfect example yeah i have um a bachelor's degree i have two masters and a teaching certificate and of course with COVID, it's a different situation at this point but before that i mean i have looked i have looked for years I've looked for years, and I'm still trying right. to find some where I'm not discriminated against. I'm accepted, all of that. So it's just, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm it, right in that position. And some people, I mean, I, I, I was reading something on a mailing list where someone said that they had been looking for a job for 40 years, 40 years, and still hadn't had success. And maybe it's just the person's qualifications. You can never tell that for certain, but. You know, it, it's it, it says something, you know, this person having a disability, this person being a blind person. I mean, it, it, it very well could factor into yeah. what he's experienced. Well, it is proven that, unfortunately, there are a lot of biases out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they compared the resumes of two different people having the same qualifications, mm-hmm. uh, however, one was black and the other one was white. Mm-hmm there was a prefer a preferential treatment for yeah. the white person. Well, that's what affirmative action seeks to address. Um, right. Um, and the same would be with a disabled person and an able-bodied person. Whether I'm that trying person... to think, is, is, does affirmative action, are we a protected class in affirmative? I should know this. Yes, we are. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. You we know are. If that was, had been codified, you know, officially into that, under that, um, uh, well, up here in Canada, it is. I would have okay. I'm not sure about here. In the I'm States, not sure. Okay, be, because you guys yeah. are a lot more progressive than we are, even in a lot of areas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're always a step behind you. No, uh, actually, I, I, my impression, a lot of people's impression down here is that you're a step ahead of us, <laughs> more, as far as social things go. Well, you know what? Let's let's all let's all agree to disagree on that topic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, the okay. fact is, we get all our shit from england anyway so (laughs) okay well yeah you definitely have the british influence the scottish influence the french influence oh we've got it all we've got it all um but i think it would i mean i think it would be beneficial for a lot of people especially people with disabilities uh who need to prove themselves Mm -hmm. who i mean i have i i have friends who are no longer my friends um, not for this particular reason, but for other reasons, uh, who had the idea that a person should just walk into an, a place of employment and start working and show them that they can do the job. Uh, I don't know how that would be possible logistically. Yeah, I mean, that isn't re- realistic. Exactly. Uh, I mean, to, yeah, it's just not the way the system works. Yeah, however, one has to wonder, what if they were uh quote unquote forced mm-hmm. into volunteering at yeah. a particular place of employment. Yeah, I mean when you start talking about forcing people to do anything, you gotta really you gotta really consider 
and also, I mean, you know, basing it on a class like ours, forcing someone to do this or that based on a particular class um, would be a little bit, that's getting into some scary territory, I think. So would you make it more optional than mandatory? I mean, like, oh, are you saying like in terms of, oh, you're saying in terms of like um, receiving people benefits with disabilities. disabled person as well. But, but, but again, once again, we have this situation where what about people who are by necessity homebound, have this and that illness and just really can't maintain, um, you know, a constant workflow? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and again, maybe there are jobs out there that would still apply in those situations, even volunteer opportunities. But I mean, finding them is the question, first of all, as something right. that would. And I mean, even though the ADA is is obviously in existence. Um, employers find ways around it. They discriminate. And basically it's up to us disabled folks to enforce it. So right. um, it, it really doesn't have as, as much, uh, as many teeth as, as people even here would non-disabled folks, especially would really think it has. Right. Um, but no, I mean, again, it's always taken into account those, those really, granted really small parts of the disability community that really could not, hold down most traditional employment, even perhaps even some non-traditional employment uh, opportunities or volunteer opportunities. Again, I would say it's for a small minority, but certainly it exists. Um, And again, even, even those who can work again, you have discrimination, both before you get a job, you have discrimination on the job, you have, you know, all this and it, you know, lack of accommodations and all this sort of thing that, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, just to, just to give, I, uh, just to give potential employers some ideas, yeah. a person who decides to volunteer at a job or place of employment would offer so many benefits to a company. For example, yeah. um, a laboratory Oh, or research laboratory, rather. Would... Are you saying volunteering at a company where you traditionally work for for hire? Is what right. You're saying. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're talking about like community service types things because yeah, I mean, we no. do this. Already. Well, I mean, there is. I mean, that would be great if we could get them into community service. Yeah. But uh, ideally, the fact is liability standards and and the whole. Yeah. Um. I mean they look at themselves as needing Mm. that service as opposed to doing that service. So are you, when you're saying force them, I I, I guess I'm kind of confused. Are you talking about forcing PWD people, disabilities that are on benefits to get um, to be to volunteer or the employers to hire, to not hire, but to accept volunteers. Well, that's, well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, do you force these people who have the ability to to go find a volunteer position that they can do that would benefit both themselves and society? Yeah, again, I mean, maybe there are other things I'm missing as well. But the the first thing, again, that comes to my mind is the group that simply cannot or cannot find a situation where they're able to to do something. Right. And that's why and that's why I leave that caveat of whether they're able to but again how does one determine that we're back to square one we're back to what i was saying earlier about forcing everyone with a disability that has benefits to to try to find work and where do you draw that line it's so i mean as we know very well every even within our community every type of blindness low vision is somewhat different you have people also with other disabilities along with blindness and it's just like you know the disability community is just so so diverse in itself and uh, yeah we're certainly not a monolith 
Um, and there are different levels of ability. There are different levels of skill, different levels of privilege in other uh, intersectional areas, race, for instance. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's just uh, it's a lot of, a lot of things at play as well. I mean, we, you know, we were disabled, but we also were the largest minority group because anyone can join it at any time. And, and, and so we have a lot of intersectionalities as well. So, but yeah. We are one of the major majorities? Pardon? You think we're one of the biggest majorities? Uh, I would oh, minorities um, rather. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm because I, I would expect. Um, I think I've heard the statistic mentioned, and I would expect that to be the case, just because again, pretty much anyone can join at any time through birth or accident or anything else. And if you look at if you classify the elderly, who often get left out of disability communicate uh, conversations because they just think, oh, it's just part of getting old, and they just don't even classify themselves as being disabled, let alone the stigma mm-hmm. of, of of doing so. Um. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I think it's uh, last time I heard we were like about one billion people is the est- is the estimate most people go by that have a disability. And I think um, again, I don't know where the statistic was was uh, gotten from, but um, there was this uh, blindness podcast. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was now, but uh, it was mentioned that apparently it's estimated that around 300 million people are blind or low vision around the world. So yes, yeah, yeah. I in fact that's the. Uh... Um, that's one of the. Oh, it was uh, on the it was in, in the Adna the uh, narrate the audio description narrators uh, podcast. That's what it was. That's what it was. Just about a week ago. Uh, it's possible, but I also mentioned it on uh, last week's perspective. Also. Oh no, I wasn't. I couldn't even listen because yeah, I was. Yeah, in, in no, a, I think yeah. it was last week or the week before, rather. Oh, okay. No, I don't even remember yeah, what I was doing. This but uh, but I did mention that. <laughs> Yeah. One of the uh, the number of blind and visually impaired people out yeah. there yeah. Um, is upwards of 300 million right. worldwide. Right. Having said that, mm-hmm. I honestly believe... Now, keep in mind that these are documented people mm-hmm. who right. are visually impaired or blind. Yeah, yeah. There are those in smaller towns, smaller... Mm-hmm. Uh, villages, for example, in Africa, who right, right. don't have any any idea of what a census is, right? right. Um, or even, you know, uh, ACB and NFB chapters. They have no idea what the hell that is. Well, that's just mainly here in the U.S. I think there are some international. No, chapters. but I, yeah, yeah, but that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. there are. Are organizations out there that oh you've got oh you got CNIBR and IB World Blind Union that covers a lot of the international right exactly and a lot of smaller villages like that Mm -hmm. uh, don't have any idea that they these organizations exist yeah oh a lot of people even here don't (laughs) realize they exist. So, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, which is very sad. I mean, yeah. first first things first time someone goes blind or I hear about it, I automatically direct them to one of our major organizations. Of course, I'm biased. I'm NFP, so I'll probably end up directing them to NFP. But um, I mean, they need to encounter other blind folks who who are on their game, know what they're doing, well adjusted, and you know, so they can really get picked back up from that again and, and really dispense with all the ableist notions that they've that they've absorbed throughout their sighted lives, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact is, when I went blind, I had no idea that we even had an AC, uh, yeah. a, a council of the blind up here. Right. I just assumed that the ACB was strictly American. The U.S. thing, yeah, yeah. And the AFB and the NFB. Uh, but yeah, it turns out Canada does have a Canadian 
uh, chapter of the council. So they see Vito's? Did you say NFB does as well? I'm not even aware of Up that. Up here? Yeah. Yeah, we have a, a CFB, yes. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, we have a, a, a CFB version. Okay. Now, whether that has to do with the... Well, I'm not sure. Is the AFB any part of the NFB? Oh, there's as far as I know, they're totally separate organizations. Um, AFB was found. Oh, Sierra, I don't know if it was found. It was founded earlier, but anyway, it's um, yeah, it it it's not an it's American Foundation for the Blind. I mean, a lot of blind folks work for them, and they certainly try to try to you know keep in touch with our community. But it's not an organization of the blind. The only two major organizations of the blind are NFB, ACB, at least here. So, yeah. And we emphasize that like a lot, like it's of it's it's an organization driven by blind people for blind people. And I think that's so. Really so that's a major characterization that word, of and for. That's something we yeah. I mean that's something really important to our, people in our organizations uh, of blind people because I mean it's it's basically blind people speaking for ourselves, right? So I mean that's that's like every time someone speaks about us, we go crazy when someone says National Foundation or, or National Federation for the Blind. We're like oh. No, um, and we make sure when we have guests speaking that, that don't know the organization that are cited, whatever else, that they get that right because they need to realize that we that blind people can speak for ourselves. We right, speak right, for right. Well, that's interesting. I never, I never even thought of that distinction being yeah. really important. Oh man! But again, yeah. that's that's my language has consequences, right? Language language expresses thought, and thought has consequences. So. I mean, people people well, always get their would, get their panties I mean, in a bind about you know like oh you know you're you're so concerned about language. Well, I mean, again, like I said, language has thought. Thought has consequences. So I think no, and works. and you should know. I mean, the fact is, you studied English. So <laughs> right. I mean, if I can't defer to you, I don't know who I should <laughs> defer to. Okay. Um, but but you're right. I mean, having saying National Federation of the Blind. And National Federation for the Blind are two very different yeah. organizations. Right. And and you're sure the AFB is for the blind? American Foundation for the Blind. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're a separate thing. Yeah. That's that really is. Uh, I mean, they work with they work with NFB and ACB. I mean, we the organizations partner up all the time, but um, they're they're not they're not one and the same. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I agree. Um, and the fact is, yeah, they do mean different things, and I would think they mean different things. For yeah. example, foundation and federation. Are... Yeah, I, I've never really looked into exactly why the term was chosen that way, interestingly. Right. But, yeah, it is. I mean, it is, it is an interesting term, federation versus council, even, ACB, NFB. Like, why? I think the council chose it because they thought that not everyone's interests were being represented equally in the federation. And so when they split off, right. they, they chose the term council. That's, that's, that's as far as I understand that why one uses one, one uses the other. And and do does the NFB and ACB actually uh, do work like that? Look for jobs for people. They have hosted seminars and things um, in terms of helping blind folks understand better about how seek how to seek a job and stuff like that. And of course, they also try to advocate against discrimination in the in the workplace and um, in the hiring process. Like if someone thinks they've been discriminated against, they can come to the legal department of the NFB and and see if there can be some kind of arbitration or even um, court action. 
Um, they basically are facilitators. They, I don't think they do like the direct job placement. That's really the job, so to say, of uh, voc rehab in a lot of states here. Um, they will assist you a lot more in actually finding particular jobs. But I mean, it's still ultimately your responsibility to to do the interview, to you know, make a good impression, blah, blah, blah. So I mean, it's, you know, they're like, I know, I don't know about here. Well, I think yeah, I think government jobs here, there's a certain quota that has to be disabled. But like, I mean, disability is so widespread, like they could probably say, oh, you're blind. That's a lot worse. So we're going to take this stuff person over here. I mean, theoretically, yeah. that could happen. Right. Sure, sure. I know that in Italy, at least just from talking to folks, as you know, I know over there, many over there, uh, blind folks, even um, they I think they like for certain jobs, a certain percentage actually have to be blind specifically. So, really? yeah. And I think that's I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's. it's pretty awesome thing. And in some ways, although in others, I'm, I'm not sure about general disabilities, like if they do anything like that, but um, it, it certainly is to our advantage, I think. Um, well, the implications are something yeah. that need to be hashed out. And I haven't really considered them really, really carefully, but it certainly is on the surface more advantageous than it is here. Right. Here yeah, no, I mean, it's certainly progressive for a, a country. Is it the uh, nationally that they have that? Uh... Uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, yeah, I think call centers are one possibility, and there's, I think there's some, I think there are others as well. Like, right, and a lot of government jobs. I think even even in private industry, in some ways, I believe. Yeah, and a lot of companies are working remotely. For example, mm -hmm. I I was looking oh, at yeah. some job postings here for one of our uh, cable providers, mm -hmm. and all of the job postings are remote. Oh, that's made it tons easier for some of us, certainly. Yeah, but I mean, it's the, of course, for us, the, the question always arises, is the technology going to be accessible? <laughs> but um, with great screen readers, magnifiers and all that. But um, yeah, it, that, I mean, yeah, the remote things. And a lot of blind folks, other disabled folks have been crowing about it in a good way and saying, hey, folks, while we're all acting like it's normal again, first of all, you got to consider people like me who have underlying conditions, immunocompromised people and other high-risk COVID folks. But secondly, you know, this going back to the office is is doing a huge disservice to people with disabilities who can work more easily from home or have to work from home because of their disability. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's, I mean, we, we had great hope. It's, 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 it's horrible to say with a pandemic and things like this, but because of the remote nature of everything at the time, especially near the beginning of the pandemic, by the way, the pandemic is not over. I can say that right now. Uh, but we had great hope um, that this was going to be something that would continue. And now that a lot of people are going back to their old ways, certainly not everyone, which is great. There's more flexibility out there, but a lot of people are mm -hmm. in businesses are going back into their old ways, ableist, some would say, ways of doing things. And um, it's it's rather disheartening for a lot of us. Yeah, no, ideally for a lot of people with disabilities who don't have the ability to go out, mm -hmm. uh, a remote position would be ideal for them, whether yeah. that be um, answering switchboard and or uh customer service or even sales yeah uh, but yeah but at the same time i mean i think it's 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 really tr i mean obviously you're not going to get it to an ideal world you know rome wasn't built in a day right but i think that we should still be striving toward working toward equity in terms of choice not only for blind folks but for other disabled folks as far as what we what we're able to do what we can do and certainly remote work versus having adequate transportation in some way is is a factor certainly in the u.s i mean we we have a crap task frankly transportation system especially in the more rural areas and smaller towns and many yeah. other countries don't have nearly so much of a problem with that you know. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, the the uh, smaller towns out here in Canada are just as bad, uh, oh, okay. if yeah. not worse than you know this. You got some of your cities down there. Oh, uh, not cities, but towns. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember living in a city with over. Uh, 5 million people then moving to a city of 23,000 people that was a major culture shock for me <laughs> right you know, I live in a town of 2,000 so um, yeah yeah exactly. about small town. so does your town even have a public we have no public transport well the okay okay it's sort of complicated so we don't have any public transport within my town but uh -huh. we do have one service one count it one I'm putting my finger up because I can't see <laughs> um it so basically it's a um it's called uh, a ride solution and actually it, it, what's what's interesting is that anyone can access it so one positive of that is you don't have to fill out all this paperwork proving you're disabled right the, the disabled ticket to stuff right that we all have to do well that's so scary. anyone can use it um and it, co it covers several towns and several counties in fact in this area right but again you have to schedule it a day or more in advance just like a lot of paratransit systems across the country and you certainly can't go anywhere spontaneously and the, the counties are very limited you can't even go to bloomington which is a pretty major city about 45 minutes away and a lot of folks go there to do things from here because we don't have a lot of choice in this area sure yeah so um but um yeah, it's, but no, we don't have any of our own in the town, but we do have that one little option, which which has worked. But again, it's, it's not spontaneous. Well, and it's still, I mean, that's quite impressive for a town of 2,000. I know. it's not. Again, it's not just for this town, though. It covers the whole of my county, which is a pretty big county, but with a lot of small towns in it and sure. several other counties around it as well. So Yeah. And, and, and uh, I would right see now, where they're, that they're would be They're actually experiencing, like everything else, a driver shortage. And mm -hmm. so that's also problematic. For people like me in this area, because they they're just not able to handle all the rides right now. Because of... now, do they use ride sharing? No, they they have their own little proprietary, so to speak, vans and things like that. So, no, no, I meant, do they oh, accommodate oh, multiple no, we don't riders have any, we have, at the same we have, time? We have zilch, nothing, nada in this town as far as public transit. Nope, we don't have Uber lifts, anything like that here. Um, no, no, I, I meant the, I meant that that. Hmm paratransit system you spoke of does it yeah. accommodate multiple riders on the same yeah vehicle? on the same van yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay pretty, no i don't think i've ever gone no wait a minute have i no i went with there was an elderly gentleman that, that i was traveling with once so but rarely i'm i'm, pretty, I'm usually pretty much the only one that's, that i've you know and i've traveled with them so, so you traveled once on that paratransit. I, I've traveled on it. So, oh, that gives yeah, several times. And again, it's not really paratransit because again, anyone can use it really. But um, sure. yeah, I've traveled on it a number of times. Uh, with COVID lately, though, I've, I've tried to stick with relatives and things like that because of yeah, I don't want to be exposed to people that have been in the van before, or even the drivers might, who knows, you know, have something. So. No, I uh, I, I understand. Yeah. Um, and I could see your point. I mean, the fact is, your paratransit system, does it only run at certain hours? Yeah, it's like six to six, I believe, which is very limiting, certainly in, for the evening. Um, and for those who have early early jobs, they have to get to like three thirty, four o'clock. I mean, you look at, if you want to say, you want to be a broadcaster or something, right? You know, you have to get to the studio really early. So, right. it, and it's only on weekdays. And, the, you know, for all these services that only operate on weekdays, I always say disabled people's lives don't end on the weekends. No, so, of course not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So. And, the fa and on top of everything, I mean, one of the things we have here is 24-hour paratransit. 
Oh, uh, wow. I'm not sure about paratransit in other cities because I'm not, I mean, I've been here most of my life. Bloomington, mm -hmm. I've never gone out that late when I was up there in graduate school. They had paratransit up there. Right. Um, so I'm not, I, I'm not even exactly sure of the hours up there, but I'm not, and again, I'm not sure how common or if it is common at all here for 324. Well, they introduced that here because of, of dialysis patients and okay. stuff like that. Oh, okay. uh, so they've introduced that 24 hour paratransit. Yeah, we have uh, medical, we have specifically transportation for medical stuff. My, one of my insurances actually covers transportation across the state specifically for medical appointments. So that's, Oh, does it really? Yeah. So that's, and is that reimbursement or. Um, I think just, I don't know all the, all the behind the scenes of it, but my, the insurance company covers it basically. They, con they contract out with company, like cab companies and things and, and, and then they pay the cab companies, I suppose. Um, for the, Oh yeah. For the yeah. That works. So I, I actually took a cab from like, from here, Bloomfield, two hours away up North to Indianapolis for an eye appointment uh, a while back whenever I couldn't get transport other, any other transportation. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So did you do anything, uh, I mean, besides go to school, did you do anything in the bigger cities? Oh, I mean, Bloomington, you, I mean, if you want to really live in a city where, in a reasonably sized city where you don't need a car, go to Bloomington, Indiana. If you're here in Indiana, you're in this area. I, I even thought of moving up there myself because of it. I mean, I know the city. I've been there for graduate school. The university's there. A lot of good academic stuff. Very liberal-minded compared to a lot of places in this area where I am, which is very, a very red state, very red area. Um, right. But no, if you don't, if you can't drive, you're a non-driver, go to Bloomington. I mean, they have Uber, they have Lyft, they have paratransit, they have three cab companies. They have the, their own transit system on the university campus for disabled people. Um, I mean, it's, they have the bus system, of course, for the city. I mean, you, I mean, and the, the whole city is covered in some way. Indianapolis isn't even that good. So, I mean, do you know the population of Wilmington? Uh, Roughly, I think it's like yeah, um, like eighty thousand. I think it's like eighty thousand, maybe, with student population, and around half of that whenever the students are away, like for the summer. Holy um, shit! Only eighty thousand. So I, I believe that's. No, I I know we're live, but let me let me see. Let me check something. Okay, I'm gonna say the word a lady, guys. So you might want to mute for a second. Five, four, three, two, one. Alexa, what's the population of Bloomington, Indiana? Seventy-nine thousand, according to a couple of years ago, I think. Right, right, right. So yeah, it's just about yeah, it's about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably spending the students as well. No, I honestly, for some reason, I always think that bigger cities are larger than that in the states. But Indiana, yeah. Well, Indiana, I mean, we mostly have small towns. We only have a few decent sized cities. I'd say Bloomington, Indianapolis, Terre Haute, Evansville, um, Lafayette. Um, oh, goodness. Where's Notre Dame? South Bend. A few major <laughs> and most are little tiny burks and tiny, tinier towns. So, so would and you it, be considered, would Indiana be considered a Midwest state? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It is, right? So yeah. you have a lot of prairies and and well stuff we like have uh, prairies. So the northern half is a little more flat. The southern half is is quite hilly. Um, right. And basically just simplifying a bit. But um, we have certainly I don't know if I have prairie land proper though. Um, yeah, a lot of, in where I live there are a lot of fields, a lot of farming going on, a lot of hills, a lot of nature, um, a lot right. of state parks. 
<laughs> so a lot of state yeah a lot of state parks i mean very very natural area around here yeah yeah but i i i mean is it hard for you to uh live in that city on your own for example oh, yeah. you say I mean, if I were, you, if I say you have family own, yeah it would be a challenge um if i were totally on my own at this point yeah so um, like I, said, I rely for i rely on relatives at this point um mostly Right, right. So, but if you didn't have relatives, you I would, would... probably be in Bloomington a lot quicker than I'm considering it now. <laughs> I'd have probably okay. been up there yesterday. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, because I can't, I can't see someone living in a small town who is uh, well, blind or yeah. visually impaired. Yeah. Uh, especially with all the walking we have to do. Uh well, this is a reasonably small town. Even a lot of sighted folks do walk around here. Um, which, which I suppose, I mean, if I had a little more mobility training and did a little more experimentation, I could probably do more of that. Um, could you, I mean, can one walk from one end of Bloomfield uh, to the other? Yeah, Is I don't know about Bloomfield, but Broomfield? I mean, certainly getting to like, you can probably walk down to the store from the, the, the store. I mean, you can walk down to the store. <laughs> you can walk down to the store from here or the park or something like that. Right. So we right. only have one store. We have one park. We have like three stoplights. So. Oh, so. you have three stoplights. Yeah, right. Well, there you go. Okay, I mean, you're 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 a larger city than I anticipated. You know. No, and we have like about ten dozen churches, so <laughs> I exaggerated it. And about ten dozen bars. Ten dozen <laughs> bars as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you guys allow gambling? I'm just curious. Uh, well, in Indiana, we have like we have several casinos. We have one in Evansville, one in French Lick. Yeah, there's a town called French Lick. There's a story well, behind it, though. And what we also about, have, I think, another one somewhere. What right about here. OT, um, OTB off track betting? Pardon? OTB off track betting? Uh, uh, I'm not even sure, actually. I shouldn't know, but I'm, I'm not really sure about that. But yeah, I don't know all the gambling laws because that's I, I tried it, I got disappointed with it quickly, and <laughs> I just you yeah. tried gambling, really. Yeah, um, because my, uh, I think my well, my parents went down to some uh, casino in Tennessee a while back, and I decided to hop along, and so I tried it, and it's just like it just I you lose too much, and I, I I like my money too much, and so I was like, no, I'm not. So I'm, uh, just so we're understanding here, this hmm. was before you got educated. Oh, this was wow, several well, number of years ago now. I mean, I think I was I think I was still in school, I believe. Oh, okay. So you were, okay, okay. So it was before you got educated. Okay. I suppose if you don't, if you don't think about it like that, I guess. But I mean, I, I, I mean, I happen to think people who gamble are very uneducated, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to risk management. Yeah, I mean, you really have to moderate. I mean, I'm okay with it, but I mean, you have to know how to moderate it. Um, right. And you know, so like, but no, I mean, for me, it just personally was not fulfilling at all and yeah so i was yeah. just like i really couldn't care less I, I i like my money and i don't like losing it <laughs> so <laughs> yeah no fair enough yeah. um and and you know with without having geography education aside mm -hmm. um the fact is i mean i i think there are a lot of benefits to something like this however oversight mm -hmm. would not be so easy what are we talking about? Uh, benefits to what? Uh, sorry, sorry. The volunteering uh, okay. topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I could see a lot of benefits to it, but oversight would be very difficult. Is that yeah. fair to say? 
Yeah, I mean, you'd have to have a whole, well, arguably, potentially, I mean, a whole separate sort of structure um, for a lot of these situations to handle the volunteer side of it. I mean, logistically, yeah, it might be a little more complicated than it's than it's worth. Again, I'm I'm not certainly not in management, but that's just my sort of initial sort of thought on it. I guess impression. Right. I mean, a lot of orga larger organizations actually have volunteer departments. Uh, okay. For example, our hospitals out here have actual volunteer uh departments i think some do here as well yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. i mean that becomes a whole thing i mean when i applied to volunteer now this was before i lost my sight i applied mm -hmm. to volunteer at one of our hospitals mm -hmm. and i mean there was at least a whole auditorium full of people who were volunteering okay and we sat there and listened to the orientation and presentation. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine a blind person having to sit there listening to all that. <laughs> all right. Well, as long as the material is accessible, I don't think it would be too much of a problem. But um, no, I mean, um, and, and I mean, our organizations and others within the blindness field, I mean, we, we do encourage that. That That is definitely right. the way we, we encourage that. And also we encourage entrepreneurship. That's becoming more and more of, a, of an alternative path to mm -hmm. employment is, start, you know, starting your own business. But again, at the same time, not everyone is naturally gifted in that area. And there, I mean, there are going to be a lot of failures. I don't know if everyone is really prepared for that and or even willing to willing to potentially suffer that. Some people just want to work, you know, want to want to get paid. You know, instead of having right. to go through this and that and the other to start your own business. And a lot of people just aren't that original. You know what I'm saying? Right. They don't have these original ideas. There are the highly creatives among us. And then there are pretty much the rest of us. You know? Right. So not everyone has the natural aptitude for entrepreneurship. I get why they're trying to emphasize it just to kind of close the unemployment gap and all that. But like, sure. not everyone is not everyone's naturally made up to do that. And again, it's 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 a matter obviously not going to happen overnight, as I said earlier, but it's a matter of having choice. And, yeah. and, and concentrating on all areas, not just entrepreneurship, but, but really having a balanced focus on all areas of employment or otherwise. So, so what would you say, for example, uh, in the example I was giving before, we kind of diverged. Um, what would you say to a, a company that was uh, doing research, for example, uh, and they had they wanted they had volunteers, for example, who could do menial tasks, leaving the researchers open to actually do some research. Yeah, I mean, the more space you can free up, the better. Again, logistically is another question, but theoretically, the more, yeah, the more time that a person has to research and everything like that, the better. But yeah, of course, um, well, it's a bit of a different field, but uh, there, there's recently been um, some controversy about graduate students and compensation for their teaching and their their own work with professors. And actually here at Indiana University of Bloomington, specifically, there have been student strikes, uh, graduate student strikes, because they're not thinking they're getting enough pay and other other you know working conditions and all that. And so like that's sure. kind of been a uh, Indiana University has been embroiled in that recently. I mean, that's been like a huge story here. So really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that students have formed a union. The university is not recognizing it. Um, and it's like, it's like a massive story here in this area. I mean, at the very least they, they could put that, I mean, is it counted towards credit? 
for school? Uh, I'm trying to think how I, how it was when I was there. Um, uh, teaching hours. I don't know if it's counted toward credit necessarily, but it just gives you more experience and all of that. Um, and it helps the professors out and things like that. So yeah, but I I mean it is a good a, a good premise. I mean you get that experience and you're able to oh, yeah. uh yeah. put that on a resume. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I certainly I, did some student teaching when I was up there. So, yeah. And, and people should consider that, you know, the more experience you put on a resume, the more apt you are to get a position with a company yeah. that is paid. And I mean, that, that is something. You've got to consider, yeah, everything that you have done, all of your skill sets um, mm -hmm. that are relevant to a particular particular company, even if it's not necessarily traditional work. I mean, you hear that all the time. You know, use what you have. Use what you right. have, what you've been able to do, um, and 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 basically tailor it to the company's goals and interests and, uh, and all of that. So, right, right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um. So, I mean, like I said, uh, for me, I would think that it would be a good idea, uh, mm -hmm. but again, oversight would be difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, like I said, there, there are, that's volunteerism is something that's highly emphasized in, in the community, at least here in the U S and, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, no, it, it is up here too. Happens. I mean, uh, right. one of the major things that, um, my daughter who has mm -hmm. yet to do this, mm -hmm. uh, one of the major requirements for veterinary school is mm -hmm. volunteer, uh, payment or, or volunteer mm -hmm. positions. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, that she has to attend. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we are, I mean, fairly disappointed with my daughter for not having done this yet. Oh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but alas, you know, uh, we can all live our, our, our children's lives. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's an interesting topic. I think, mm -hmm. I think, to be uh, sure. I think it's something that we should yeah. look at more in depthly. Yeah. And I'm glad we were able to expand, expand on this a bit more as well, because like I said, I've, I've given it some cursory thought, but I really haven't. And I mean, I'm kind of thinking on the fly a lot here as well. So yeah, no, no. And, and yeah. like I said, I mean, one of the things this show does is provoke thought mm, sure. and a lot of perspectives help a lot of people make up their minds. Right. And, um, something like this would in a lot of cases be beneficial to you, especially if you're able to go out and uh, demonstrate to an employer that you should be paid for what you do. Right. Um, and there are other benefits of being at home and working remotely. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, for a lot of companies, that is a major thing. For example, right. Rogers up here and bell, uh, the major uh, telecommunications mm -hmm. companies. Oh, you still they call are, yours Bell? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they call it. They call it Bell. No. Um, it's one of the older uh, companies. Yeah, I think we had like. Well, I think well, AT and T. I think here used to be called Ma Bell, but I think it was more of a nickname. But <laughs> anyway, was it was Ma Bell a nickname? I think it was a nickname of AT and T. It's been a long time ago, obviously, before I was born. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I just remember what uh, what the Godfather movie called it. I think they called it uh, NT and T. I don't, I don't remember that. I, I've seen the Godfather twice, but I don't remember that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. No, it was the Godfather Part Two. It was what? The Godfather Part Two when they were. Uh, oh, Part Two. Okay. Oh no, yeah, I haven't seen the second one. No. Yeah, Part Two actually has a company. Uh, I think it might. I think it was NTNT or, or so maybe too, just for the show. But yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's interesting. But uh, just so people know, especially those in Canada or, well, I don't know. Do they hire people in the U.S.? That would be a great idea. I mean, one of the one of the major uh, pride points of Rogers is that they have an all Canadian customer service and technical support. Oh, like most of the major companies outsource here, and it drives us crazy. Oh, I I know. Apple is one of the few that that is America based, I believe, and I love it. Absolutely love it. Apple has so, has the best customer service I think I have worked with, hands down, with any company I've dealt with. And I think a lot of it is because, hate to say it, but they're America based, and the culture yeah. is similar, and the language is not much of a language barrier. And, you know, yeah, so. I mean every every. <laughs> Uh, whether you're on hold for six hours, I mean, we had a major telecommunications drop off for Rogers uh, yeah. about a week ago, if not less. Right. We had an AT&T outage a couple weeks ago, lasted for 12 hours. Oh, did you really? Yep. Uh, oh. Maybe more than a couple of weeks ago. It was about a month ago. At least it, was, it might have been localized, though, in this particular area. But yeah, they, they didn't get the thing up for 12 hours. It was, I mean, the wow. internet was down. Phone, like, not phone, but internet was, data was down, certainly. Our Wi Fi was down. Like, yeah, yeah. Whole no, I mean network. up here it was it was worse because we mm-hmm. couldn't even access nine one one, which we're oh, supposed see, to yeah. be I able to. I think our phone, do. like that part of it, I think was still up because I was able to call AT and T about it. But yeah, yeah, data data network, the whole data network went down. Yeah, I mean it got to the point where they were they're crediting their customers for that outage. Yeah, they rarely would do that here. Believe me, we all. I mean, they they hardly ever compensate you for stuff like that. <laughs> Is that right? Wow, you would think that three. We certainly didn't get compensated for that twelve-hour loss. No. Well, that would be great. I mean, yes, it's it's American. Yeah, but I'll bet if you called and complained, they would. Uh, yeah, possibly, but no, in general, that's that's American greed. (laughs) I think. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, free free market system. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, uh, guys, I think that will bring us to the end of the blind perspective for this week. I want to thank my great and ever amazing guest, Mr. <laughs> Don, for joining us. Thanks. Much, uh, guys. As I said, we have great conversations when she's around and uh, <laughs> I, I really do w- hope that she keeps coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I try one again. Yeah. Uh, make sure you uh, tune into Snap tonight at nine. We're actually talking about necrophilia. So if you've oh, yeah. ever been interested in that, uh, you might want to tune in tonight. So, guys, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>